Thought Leadership Studio. You're listening to Thought Leadership Studio, the podcast that helps you master high-level positive mass influence to create distinctive business niches, captivate an audience, grow your following, and change the game by changing the frame with strategic thought leadership. Thought Leadership Studio. Welcome back to Thought Leadership Studio. This is your host, Chris McNeil, and this is episode 27, an interview with Stephanie Scheller, the founder of Grow Disrupt. And Stephanie's going to talk about things like using the violin, using music in general, to access creativity for business. And she's also an expert on adapting the seminar, the workshop, the learning environment for entrepreneurs for ADHD. And we talk a bit about how ADHD can actually be a superpower. So I think this is a fascinating interview that you're really going to enjoy and it'll help you tap into more of your creativity, gain insight into how Stephanie uses anchors to create positive states for business, to learn ways to use music to tap into creativity, and how to recognize do you have ADHD? Is it a disorder or is it a superpower when you know how to harness it, when you know how to use it, when you know how to adapt your environment and your routines to tap into what it can do for you? Now, Stephanie, like I mentioned, is the founder of Grow Disrupt, which is a company that's passionate about helping business owners thrive personally and professionally. They've got an upcoming flagship event in January 2023 that is at www.thegrowretreat.com. And in general, Stephanie and her violin, honey, speak at events on topics like creativity, sales and marketing, and bringing out the best in your people. So I'm putting some links to Stephanie's media on the landing page for this episode, which you can get to from the link that is in the episode description if you're listening on an app. Now, if you're listening on thoughtleadershipstudio.com, hey, you're there. Scroll down and check it out. So, without any further ado, let's jump right into Stephanie's interview. Thought Leadership Studio. So I'm Chris McNeil, the host of Thought Leadership Studio, and I am sitting here with Stephanie Scheller, a brilliant violinist who's also a TEDx speaker two-time best-selling author, award-winning entrepreneur, and the founder of Grow Disrupt, a company that designs and produces educational and application-focused events to reinvigorate 
and inspire small business owners. And my understanding is Growthrap Focus is specifically on helping entrepreneurs with ADHD issues. Is that right, Stephanie? It does. Um, it's kind of funny how we landed on that because uh, for a long time, it was just application focused events. Like what we used to tell everyone is, hey, if if you're like Stephanie, like I just got tired of going to events and walking out feeling like I got no real content and I was overwhelmed and like I didn't know what to do with it. And so what we used to tell people like, if you're like Stephanie, come to our events, you'll love them. And it was like last year that we started to realize, I think the common denominator is ADHD. And so we started doing all this research into everything we do at our events and realizing like all of these very conscious choices we've made for the past five, six, goodness, seven years now um, has been around these elements of ADHD that to me really are a superpower, but they have to be, they have to be supported properly. And when you do, you create some really cool stuff. And so that was when we were like, oh my goodness, we've, we've literally been building events for ADHD entrepreneurs. And so that was when our messaging shifted to, we design events for ADHD entrepreneurs. <laughs> and you know what? It, isn't that kind of most entrepreneurs? <laughs> I think there's probably- I mean, I'm many... way off the scale and I like being ADHD. I don't think it's a problem, but I put myself in a situation where I can utilize that. Right. I think, you know, I think it's, it's probably still a Venn diagram. There's still probably some entrepreneurs who are not ADHD, but I think it's probably pretty close to a circle. I think there's some elements like being an entrepreneur requires you to be able to um, task switch with relative ease. It requires you to be able to see down the road, um, see multiple paths, like project, figure out, plan. Um, it, it, there's a lot of things about being ADHD that I think do lend itself to entrepreneurship. So do you see yeah, relationship and we talked about creativity a little bit before the show. And of course yeah. you're a musician and you utilize music as, as part of how you teach creativity, as I understand, which I yeah. think is awesome. Uh, do yeah. you see a relationship between ADHD and creativity? I, I do. I don't know that there's actually a, I haven't looked into this to see if there's like a study out there that's tied the two together, but I feel like, the way my brain functions and can kind of one see 40 things and start kind of drawing connections between them and see all these different paths to go and play out these different scenarios. I feel like that helps me be more creative because it brings more perspectives in, which is part of creativity. Creativity is like, if you come down to it, there's not much new under the sun of these, you know, what I think that's the way the saying goes. Um, creativity is finding a new way to approach it, a new way to tackle it, mm -hmm. a new way to go about making that happen. So I personally think there probably is a pretty high correlation. Um, it would be kind of a fun story to study, like how many great artists and, and, and musicians and people who have super creative worlds have ADHD. And now I'm really curious to go look and see if there's a study that ties the two. Well, you know, I was not officially diagnosed until I was in my fifties. Oh, seriously? Yeah. And I wow. went my whole life wondering why I can't stand to sit in a classroom for an hour and listen to somebody talk and draw things on a chalkboard. That's not how I, right? I learn, I learn very rapidly, but not that way. And it kind of right. connected some dots for me. But I'm thinking about the listener, and chances are a lot of our listeners are going to be ADHD, which is a superpower, of course. Yeah. I just 
framing it correctly to utilize it as such, perhaps, and you'll be able to talk a lot about that. But you can also speak to another common denominator amongst thought leaders and entrepreneurs, because to me, strategic thought leadership requires creativity, because if you're going to lead thinking initially your own and then others to somewhere new, then mm -hmm. it implies inventing that somewhere new. But say for the listener who might be wondering, hmm, am I ADHD? Let me put down three of the books that I'm reading as I also listen to this podcast and several songs on four radios in the room and assess that for myself. How would someone know if they are? Well, I mean, so technically, the really the best way would be to get a diagnosis, like go to a therapist, go to someone. There are uh, there are centers that that is what they do. They do tests and diagnoses. A lot of times they're doing them on children. Um, so one thing that would, especially for adults, that would be, I think, I feel like important to check in is like, do you have experience with diagnosing adults? Because adult ADHD, um, especially people like you and I, I mean, I was, I was mid twenties before I was diagnosed. So like I spent my whole life doing the same thing. Like, I don't like this about myself and I'm going to try and fit into a box. And all of a sudden it was like, wait, <laughs> hold up. The box does not have to be my life. Oh um, God. Yeah. Right. So like, that would be, that would be the technical answer is go. If you're, if you think you might be ADHD, go talk to Go talk to someone who can do a, a, a pro professional diagnosis. But on the other side, what I would encourage is if you do think you are ADHD, start doing some research into what that looks like in adults um, and start to look at how many of those same things do you deal with? More importantly, if you're starting to reach a point where you're like, I think I may be an informal diagnosis, right? I, I'm pretty sure I got, I got eight of the 10 symptoms I've just read about. Pretty sure this is me. Sure. Um, start looking at how those symptoms can become, because for me, I, I had my diagnosis, you know, mid-20s, but I didn't really do anything with it until like two or three years later when I started to realize that all these different pieces of who I am are very common for ADHD individuals. Well, what are some? And so when I started, and I, I realize we're not trying to diagnose our listener, of course, then you go to right. a professional for that. But just uh, have a, some common ground to speak of these, and maybe we can call them characteristics instead of symptoms and frame them that way. There we go. What are some of the key ones that would make someone? So for, um, for me, a lot of times, um, my brain is functioning probably three or four sentences ahead of, so my, my brain is filling in the gaps. What is this person going to say? What direction are they trying to go? I'm trying to, I'm trying to, um, and then I don't know if this is so much, uh, ADHD, my brain is trying to think in patterns. And so it's trying to predict patterns constantly. And a lot of times it's really good at that. And so it can get bored really easily when I've predicted a pattern and it's like, oh, well, like now I'm bored because it's going to take them five minutes to get to the point that I already figured out. Yeah, <laughs> like, gotcha. um, that I think is a really common one. This kind of like uh, the best way to explain it would be like finishing someone's sentences. Sure. Um, and if, if, if your brain is mentally, right. Right. We've all learned not to do that in, you know, all the time in person. That would just make everyone mad. But, but you, if you're right, kind like, of race to the end ahead of them. Like yeah, I'm doing, like, I'm doing okay. this is the smart elk example right now. <laughs> right. But exactly. Um, so I think that is a that is an extremely common one, which does translate into a hard time sitting still a hard because you're bored. Mm -hmm. um, another one that I've seen really common, uh, again, one of mine is I do see 
like 10, 15 different paths. I'm like, I'm standing here. This decision I make could take me down this direction and it could go one of these five paths. And if I make this decision, it could go here and it could take me these. If I make this decision, and that is also really common for individuals with ADHD is to be able to see a bunch of different paths and like, which one do I take? What's the best one to be able to, to go down? Um, and again, I think that's one that is a superpower for entrepreneurs, right? We can sit here and be like, okay, I can kind of start to plot out where I need to go for my business. Is that the um, equivalent of what I've heard called stacking order? Like how many books somebody has opened at a given time? I think there's probably some connection there. I don't know if it is the exact thing, but I do think there is um, where we can, we can pro we process things from multiple directions. We're sure. not linear. Right. And, and isn't that a superpower though? And is it, you know, I, this is a discussion I've had with myself. Um, and one of the times I'm trying to finish my own thoughts before I finish and interrupt my own thinking pattern with something different in terms of, isn't a lot of traditional education still industrial revolution, Carnegie, train them to work in my factory, but not be so smart as to, you know, want to own the factory to compete with me kind of education right. that was invented at the beginning of the industrial revolution. And it's the whole concept of ADHD in a sense might be just the lack of its ability to expand to a different learning style, different thinking style that might be better accommodated by things like what you're doing. Yeah, I could, I could see that. And I think, I think the challenge would be there that some people are going to learn better one way and not be able to adapt. Right. right? So ever so, so I may learn a little differently than than someone else with ADHD, but understanding what my learning style is versus what your learning style is versus, I, I do think we do tend to do well with a short instruction period and then an application period. Like, let me do what you're talking about. Oh, that's um, okay. As opposed to let me read a book and get, you know, an entire textbook's worth of data and then try the implementation. And I think part of that comes back to our brains trying to fill in the gap. Let me give up a little bit and let me let me see if I've kind of figured out my plan from here. Um, so so I, that's... I didn't mean to interrupt you. Um, no, but you're here. <laughs> so you're, you're just leading me to envision how is it that you incorporate this and grow disrupt and how does that make for a different experience? Which so is there is a lot of different, one of the biggest things that if to talk like all of the stuff we've been talking about, one is how our events are structured. So our events are always structured. Day one is kind of a rapid fire series of ideas. We call it ideation day. So it's like, here's one idea and then here's another idea. And, here, and it's a whole bunch of ideas with some information presented. So you can start filling in the gaps. Mm -hmm. And then day two is application day where you're actually in a workshop applying what you just learned and doing what we just talked about, as opposed to sitting there taking notes, like you're going and saying, okay, I'm going to, this is the vendor I'm going to call to negotiate with. And this is what I'm going to say to them. And I'm going to write out my script. So when I walk out of this room, all I have to do is make that call and make that negotiation like I'm wanting to do. Awesome. Um, so that's really big. The other thing I do is I'll do a lot of conversations with our speakers ahead of time and just let them know, like, this is how our audience processes information. So whereas you might want to do a seven minute story that leads to a three minute point, what I need you to do is give me the point, give me a three to five minute story, and then let's keep moving. Like, 
they they want to fill in the gap. They want to listen to the story as a way to fill in the holes because they've already gotten to the conclusion. Mm -hmm. um, and so um, I work with the speakers to help them restructure how they're presenting information um, cool. in a way that makes sense for the audience. And so what's the takeaway for the audience that's distinct for this style of teaching then? The takeaway is typically getting them into action as quickly as possible, basically. Like, mm -hmm. let's, let me give you, let me give you the point and then let's, let's go, like, let's actually do something with this. Let's not get stuck in learning because that's, you know, with every, with every superpower comes your potential problem, right? You know, Superman could squash the world or whatever. Um, and that's our challenge with being able to see all these different directions. And I can see all these different ways that I'm going to, um, now I can't decide which one to go on because I can see 40 different directions to go. And so our goal is to get them past that point, like glance at it and make a decision and move in that direction because we don't want to get, we don't want you to get stuck in indecision and feeling overwhelmed because there's 40 different potential paths to take here. So you help ADHD entrepreneurs be more productive, basically, get and maybe get away from feeling like they're always trying to fit uh, their round peg into a square hole world. Yeah, yeah. And it's helped them eliminate the overwhelm as much as possible. You, you're never going to do that entirely, but eliminate a lot of the overwhelm um, so that they can, yeah, to be the, the end goal is higher productivity. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Now, you also are a musician and you incorporate music in how you teach creativity. Uh, what? Tell me about when you were inspired to do that, when you were inspired to incorporate music into teaching creativity. What what triggered that? Um, well, the original. So the funniest thing is I've, my, I've done music for a long time. Um, my mom had us take piano lessons as a kid. And then in high school, I picked up the violin and I, I still say like, I'm just so grateful. My mom, uh, you know, suffered through that basically. <laughs> I, 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 I even tried playing my old violin a couple times and I'm like, Oh my God, even I can't make this sound good. Um, like, uh, so I played it through high school a little bit and then I picked it up again in 2019 specifically because it was an, it was a, an evening. I was feeling very drained. I was exhausted. And I, I realized I didn't have a hobby beyond work. Like everything in my life was related to work. And I wanted something that went beyond it. So I picked up the violin and I just, I, I usually I'll paint. So I know listeners can't see me, but behind me, I have a bunch of paintings. These are all ones that I've done. Like I, I well, paint as well. I was going to ask but, you because they're, they're beautiful. Thank you. These you are, uh, for those of you who can't see this and are just listening, they're stunning. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I truly do love doing paintings. These two are sister paintings. They flow together as you can see. And, see. um, I love, I love that. But that, that evening, I, my issue is when I go paint, it'll be an hour to two hours. Like I want to get lost in the painting mm -hmm. and I just didn't have time. It was like nine o'clock at night. I had to be up at 4am the next morning. I didn't have time to go do that. So I went and I just grabbed the violin and I started playing and it turned into this, um, you know, the best way I've been able to describe it is it, the violin sits on your, your collarbone. Right. And it was like, it just drew this thorn, like the vibrations just drew this thorn out of me and just gave me a space to let all of that frustration and negative energy just pull out and go away. And it was a really incredible moment. So I started playing more consistently 
And at one point um, I saw a video of someone using the violin on stage for speaking, for keynote speaking. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that, that's cool. Um, and then I had an idea. You're not a pipe organ player. I know I can bring, I feel. You have a poor blend. Like, would you, would you play the cello? I'm like, you can't really transport the cello. I know like the pipe organ would be the same issue. Like, what are you going to do? Show up with like a church on your back. Like, so, but you were, um, you were on attracted to using it on stage as part of yeah so I saw this guy doing that and I started to think I wonder if I could do the same thing and and what it just turned into was um I started to ask myself so how would I make it not just a prop right like can I walk on stage and just have the violin sure um but how do I make this actually drive home a point and so I started incorporating it into some of my trainings and I would use it um to talk about like um what's the difference between listening to a piece of music played just note for note, exactly how it's written or a piece of music with emotion, like which one sounds better. And of course the audience is always like, Oh, the second one sounds better, Stephanie. I'm like, right. So when you're leading your team, when you're marketing your business, when you're doing sales, why are we trying to leave emotion out of it? Emotion makes all the difference. It connects in a way that nothing else does. So I started using it to drive home these points and that's really how I ended up bringing the violin. And now I do use it. And I'll, I'll talk about like um, getting on stage and the power of creativity in business and having space to get creative, to just let that creativity flow. Because otherwise it will just get lost. So I'm getting a so couple of pieces from this, if I could regurgitate a little bit. And part of it is music as an instrument of conveying emotion of conveying a state of consciousness not verbally right so it's not like feel enthusiastic you know instead it's here is enthusiasm without even the word conveyed to that it cuts out there's this piece of our brain that emotions have to go through to translate into language. And that is Verdicke's area. And what happens is we lose a lot. Like it doesn't speak emotion very well. It doesn't, it actually doesn't speak whatever your language is. Verdicke's area really actually doesn't speak it very well at all. Like it kind of tries to take the, the quickest path. So it's like, she was angry, but that doesn't really communicate. No, she was furious spitting mad to the point where you thought that her face was going to explode. She was no longer breathing. That's not how your brain thinks, right? You have to like process into communicating that emotion. And so it allows me to tap into that emotional side of the brain without having to translate it through Warnicke's area. Well, I read somewhere that the kinesthetic and auditory cortexes overlap 40%. So Ooh, sound, I hadn't heard that. Sound and feeling are very closely related. And aren't the two natural fears loud noises and falling in auditory and kinesthetic? I... So I mean we're just so <laughs> wired to to morph from feeling to sound that way. And I think music so. being organized sound, and the best musicians to me are the ones who no matter what, it's not so much your technical skill. I am attracted to music that demonstrates a lot of, as a musician too, that demonstrates a lot of technical skills. We aspire to technical skills as musicians, but it's about how you take that palette and the way you use it to directly transfer emotion, uh, transfer feeling. Have you ever Mm -hmm. been to a concert 
Like I used to be a deadhead back in the day. I didn't follow them around the country or anything, but the relationship with the audience and the sense of a group trance almost and how yeah. a large group of people could be immersed in the same feeling together through that experience. So there's some really cool stuff. Okay. So there's actually a whole study about how music does stimulate specific brainwave patterns. And so you can use music to put yourself into creative or focus. And so what happens is when you have a whole group of people listening to music at the same time, your brainwaves start to line up. Like it's really, really cool stuff. Yeah, really. Um, I think that's why, you know, when I use the violin on stage, like it's, I'm almost always one of the most memorable speakers. I'll give you who come to me a year later. Oh my God, I remember you. And I'm like, Cool. <laughs> like, well, giving wow. a powerful anchor in the music. I mean, why do it? Why does every brand want to have a sound that's synonymous with opening their app or something that becomes then like the Netflix doom, you know? Right. Or right. MGM's because lion roaring, you know, the sounds. I'm working on a whole article right now about sensory triggers and what they do for ADHD individuals and how they can put you in these spaces. Um, oh, wow. And I'm. It's, I'm having a lot of fun with it. It's really quite, it's part of a, a series of articles on how ADHD is your superpower. But this is one where I'm like, I feel like sensory triggers, the the smells, like I have a specific um, a specific oil that goes on my wrist before I get on a podcast, before I go on stage, before I, because this puts me in that performance space. I have specific sense I use when I'm doing creative brainstorming and I'm doing writing when I'm doing focused work. Like there's certain things that I do. This is my, um, I have a, a spray that I spritz in the room if I'm finding myself getting too distracted because it helps me refocus. Um, sensory engagement, taste, touch, smell, um, hear all of these, uh, the, the power it has is ridiculous. ridiculous. Well, that's interesting. So you actually use scent as an anchor, which I think is really mm -hmm. powerful. Isn't the uh, um, olfactory sense, the only one that actually has a direct connection to your brain. Yes. Everything and else is kind of reprocessed, memories. you know, and your brain, yeah. we're not really seeing things as you are, we're seeing things the way our brain conveys what you are. Yeah. And yep. But with we, smell, it's a direct connection. That was where our, our um, one of our big projects this year was getting a custom scent created for our events. And now we have this custom Ooh. scent that is just, you can only get it at our events. If you come to our event, we will give every guest a their own little take home container of it. And the reason we do it is the event becomes the baseline. And so now every time you need to work on your business for the next year, you use the spritz and it pulls you back into that baseline of focused creative energy to work on the business. And it's just, it's a, mm, Oh, I could just I see the agency people listening to this going, ooh, entrepreneurial opportunity, sense for events. We'll design your custom scent to be the perfect trigger that's uniquely your brand and evokes that emotion. Because that's what we're all doing in persuasion and marketing is evoking emotion through language and through the senses. Yeah. And language becomes powerful in how it evokes direct sensory things like music in that kind yeah. of state. So tell us about your violins. I see <laughs> sitting behind you for those not seeing but listening. And you said one of them is carbon fiber. Is that right? 
Yes. Yeah, so, uh, so I have two of them sitting behind me. This, uh, the one to my farthest right is uh, what we in the violin world lovingly call a VSO or a violin shaped object. Um, it's not really like, <laughs> okay. this was my second violin. Um, it's an electric violin. It's really cool looking, but like, it sounds terrible. Like you can't really play it. Um, and then back here, it doesn't even have a name. Like that's how bad. This one though is Rosa. She's my carbon fiber violin. Ooh. And um, she, so I'll explain. So she doesn't look carbon fiber, as you can see. She looks like she's made of wood. Yes. Um, and she's a little different design wise. If I hold her up against my my Italian made acoustic. I see. Um, right? She's got, she's a little bit sleeker. And what the one I got her for a couple of reasons. One, I wanted her, so she was custom painted. She was hand painted for me. Um, I picked a whole bunch of her stuff out, but I wanted one, the carbon fiber because it's so much more durable. So I didn't have to worry about flying to an event and like, oh, look, my, my, my violin broke, right? So she's mm -hmm. practically indestructible. Um, the other thing that I really loved is she's actually a acoustic electric. So I can plug her in and she can project into the sound system in the house while I'm playing. And I don't have to worry about having a uh, a thing clamped onto her side. I don't have to worry about anything. She just plugs in and she is good to go. Um, so she's my my performance violin. And then um, and her name is uh, her name is Rosalita or the little rose, the little red rose. Very cool. Um, and then this one is Faye, and this is my um, she, uh, he has got a. I'm going to get this backwards. I think it's a maple back, mm -hmm. maple back and sides and a spruce top. Um, he was made in Cremona, Italy um, in 2012. So he's not a super old violin, but he has got a voice on him. Um, lots of layers, lots of complexity. Um, and this is my uh, doesn't leave the house, but this is the violin I practice on because uh -huh. it makes me happy so <laughs> so and i don't just ask this in a metaphorical way but is it more natural for you as a musician to read and play music as it's written or to improvise <laughs> so it's a really good question i think a few years back it was easier for me to improvise um the more i've learned it's become a lot easier for me to play into play music reading i'm actually getting decent at sight reading which is kind of nice um i'm not great at it so don't like someone's gonna be like here stuff play this i'm gonna be like yeah. oh you know the um, joke is how do you get a horn player to stop playing take away his sheet them, music how do you get <laughs> guitarists to stop playing put sheet music in front of I'm going to use this. Some of my siblings take play the guitar. And yeah, it's just a visual instrument. You know, if anything, you learn tab. I can slowly read music, but you don't really have to with guitar. But that's interesting. So, yeah. And what would but, say? You, we talked a little bit about you. You you play on stage as part of it. Mm -hmm. What does the emotion of insight sound like? Of you know, mm -hmm. ever had those times when an idea just comes to you mm -hmm. out of seemingly nowhere the ideas come from and it ends up working that feeling yeah. of insight of aha what does that sound like i'm asking you to play a little bit right so i think 
so here's the thing with that. Sometimes, sometimes insight comes a little more like, uh, Insight, I think, comes a little bit more. You're going to get it a little more kind of a beat. It like, sometimes it's like a, like a, a crash. Like it's like, I'm here. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it's like, Hey, here's a well, well, I got the distinction without you having to explain that. That was a perfect expression of that through the music. Right? Very I, thank you. But that was very, that was your, uh, that was your improv right there. <laughs> that was all. Very, very cool. So, what do you advise your clients or your group participants in terms of utilizing music for creativity or creativity in general, just riff off of that, whatever direction you want. Yeah. So we'll start with the, we'll start with the first part of the question there that how do we use music to, to stimulate creativity? And I think a, a piece of that comes down to um, allowing yourself to get absorbed in the music and in the music, not necessarily in the lyrics. If you're listening to lyrical music, not in the lyrics, but in the music to allow it to craft a scenario in your head. There's this one piece that I like to play. Um, it's actually the very first concerto that I learned. Um, and I always like to tell people, I want you to start as if we're in a garden and let's just walk through this garden together and let the music tell you what's in that garden. And so if we do that, and I won't do the oh. whole song here, but it, it starts to go. I love the metaphor. Start, that starts to spark creativity right there. And it starts to work that muscle. And now your brain is starting to, okay, so what is the music telling me? Maybe here we have, I would actually, before I go into what I see, I would actually be curious to hear what, what you saw. Like, what was your garden as I was playing? What did you see? What kind of flowers were there? Was there water? Was there? Well, it, to me, it was kind of an unfolding. 
and actually evoked a specific place, and and that's mm. the uh, Biltmore House in Asheville and the gardens around Biltmore. Oh, beautiful! And how you walk into this huge greenhouse and it just unfolds. There's a sense of unfolding, but um, I I see. I've always seen music as like colored blobs. So there, mm. I just see music as like a colored space, like an architecture, but not so much like a building as just a colored space, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And to yeah. me, it was like walking into a small space and unfolded into a long hall. And the suggestion of a garden made me see it like I would see it built more. Ah. All around, if that makes sense. It does. It does. This is the first time I've got to like hear what someone's garden like looked like. I always tell people, like, think of it like a garden. And then this is the first time I've done that one on one. So I got to actually hear what someone else saw. Um, but I think that's a really like finding a piece. And, and I think it's really important if you're going to do this to find a piece that's played by someone who really knows what they're doing on that that instrument. Because if you take a piece from a student, there's not going to be a ton of emotion in there. Yeah, right, find subtlety yet. Yeah. They don't, right? So find a master, find a soloist, find a find someone who really knows what they're doing, and just even if you don't have someone to be like, "Hey, think of a garden," just ask yourself what you do see, and let the music start to kind of draw you. And the thing about creativity is, it's a muscle that we build, and the more we use it, the stronger it gets. Mm -hmm. And so, just doing that starts to build your creativity. It starts to open the box a little bit and let it peek out and get a breath of fresh air. And what I find is when I do that, I will find solutions that I didn't necessarily see when I'm done walking through that garden or going through that experience because my creativity has had the chance to come out and be like, Hey, Steph, here's an idea. What's that mnemonic method called? Is it the museum method? I'm trying to remember where, it's a memory technique where if you need to remember a list, you imagine you're walking inside a museum and as you walk in, you spatially sort things as if you're seeing them as you walk around inside the building. Yeah, it's you know what um, I'm talking about. The, it, I've always I think I've just always heard of it as castling or the castle technique. Okay. Basically, you build a okay. castle that you walk through. There you so go. I maybe called a museum. Or palace. I think, palace, I think. Is palace. palace. That's it. The palace. That's yes. it. Uh, so it yep, reminded the mind me palace. of that, and you reminded me of, you know, the utilization of music for non-linear problem solving. So don't we all run into situations in business where we feel like we're pushing against a wall and mm -hmm. we try to logically think our way around it. Mm -hmm. But when you translate it to a whole other sensory system and just imagine what if it was music, how would it sound? Mm. And then Ooh. if it sounds dissonant because it's a problem situation, how would I bring harmony to it? And people say, I'm not a musician. I'm like, have you ever had a jingle stuck in your head? Have you ever had an earworm or a song stuck in your head? It means you can think mm. musically. It means you have right. it in your imagination. I wonder if that could be, and, and taking your analogy of if it sounds dissonant, why? What's going on that's clashing? Because maybe if you can identify, oh, you know, in my head, there's two different songs going on. Oh, well, this problem is happening because two different people are trying to tackle it or two different. I wonder if that, that you, 
I I never thought to try it from that angle, but now I'm very keen to. Well, I I can't take credit for that. I I learned that from a guy named Robert Diltz and his research into utilizing um, some of the methods Mozart used for composition, which was synesthesia. And he said Mozart actually used music for problem solving in his own life. And he mm. told a story about a jazz musician who's also a business person who would use music by imagining if oh, there's these people in a situation that got a team and not getting along, how would the sound of each one was an instrument and in a jazz combo? Mm. And, and in his mind, work out any dissonance, keeping it in the music realm. And right. like people come back and I've tried this with people and they come back and say, the situation just fixed itself. And I don't know how I'm like <laughs> nonlinear problem solving is outside your conscious mind. You know, but that's mm -hmm. the power of music, isn't it? The tap yeah. those I deep parts of the mind that are is consciously accessible to a rational thinking. Right. And there, there is a lot of power in just putting that whatever problem, challenge, obstacle wall, there and just letting your your subconscious go to town on it and freeing yourself up to do that by focusing on the music um that's i i tell people all the time i'm like ask your subconscious a question let it start mulling on the answer eventually it'll come up with something and it doesn't have to be today <laughs> um you'll almost always find the answer right in time that's what i've found <laughs> oh yeah it, it it does take time it's like you you know we say oh we're gonna sleep on it and when we sleep on it, the unconscious is working on it. And then it'll yeah. present it when it's ready. But I think right. there's things we can consciously do. Like one of those things he said Mozart did in his composition was some parts were conscious and some parts were unconscious. He would go through a sequence of things and he would imagine the music, the instruments were all like taste in a meal. And then imagine consciously arranging the meal like a chef so it tastes better and isn't his music literally tasteful and he actually used mm -hmm. taste sense to compose but then and you reminded me of this when you said that it, it's like walking through a garden what would you see and that was the, one of the stages he used too was to see at the end all the comp evolving composition would turn into an abstract visual like an abstract sculpture or, and then mm. it would compose itself, like he's watching it evolve and it would compose himself. And this is how this guy could write, what, symphonies when he was 12 years old? How he composed oh, the entire symphony in his head. And before he'd even write down the first note and then to write it all down because it's already done. Because he's already right. he, his imagination. He, the literal definition of a prodigy. <laughs> like, well, people then... like him and Nikola Tesla just remind me of like, the power of the human mind when you know how to use it. It's, yeah. It's immersed in that. I think what you're doing is awesome and brilliant. And, and I, how would people get a hold of you and find out more about um, what you're doing? About the best place would probably be um, the website for the company. So the company's name is grow disrupt. Like we're going to help you grow in a new and disruptive way, do something different than what everyone else is doing. Um, and that's probably the best place to go. Um, so just growdisrupt.com. Um, and if you go there, there's actually on the homepage, there's a link to click to look at like, what are we doing to help our events be built for ADHD people? Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of power. Um, 
you have to do a little dissecting on that page, but there's actually a lot of power in going to that page, looking at what we're doing to make these events really built for ADHD entrepreneurs, and then asking yourself how you could apply the same thing in your life, in your business, for yourself as an entrepreneur, because that will make all the difference. Um, so that's that website and then that landing page. And then of course, if you want to get a hold of me, you can fill out the contact form. Um, my team's really good about getting that to me usually within 24 hours. Great. And I'll we'll put links to all this for you, the listener on the episode page. And if you, the listener are listening on an app, a link to the episode pages in the episode description. And we'll have all this and how to get all this stuff. This has been awesome. Perfect. Love your yeah, body this- and your art, by the way, as well as what you're doing to help business people with ADHD and uh, which is most of us, I think, in the entrepreneurial <laughs> realm, Stephanie. I I fully agree, and I appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. I know we had a lot of fun when we first chatted, and I knew this was going to be an awesome podcast, so I'm really glad we got to do this. Thank you. Thank you, too. So I hope you enjoyed that interview with Stephanie Scheller. I think she's a very interesting and creative person and certainly has a lot of applicable skills for tapping into creativity to exercise for strategic thought leadership. So make sure you check out her media on thegrowretreat.com for the upcoming event, on growdisrupt.com for her event organization in general. Have some other links to her media on the episode landing page, which is linked to in the episode description if you're listening to this on an app. And also on that episode page is a link to get the free Marketer's Guide to Strategic Thought Leadership, which will help you organize the building blocks of your own strategic influence to gain more impact, to get more market insight, to tap deeper into the power of your imagination, to pull out your best ideas and package them effectively for strategic positive mass influence, whether that's for sales, for marketing, for promoting a philosophy, for PR, whatever it is you're working on in influence, it will help you with. Make sure you get that. And if you're looking for some help in your own strategic thought leadership that is more in-depth, I do offer a free 30-minute discovery session right now. So There's a link to that also on the bottom of the episode page. Would love to learn more about what you're doing and brainstorm together about whatever it is that you are aiming to accomplish now. So again, I'm Chris McNeil, Thought Leadership Coach and Consultant, founder of Thought, and the host of this podcast, Thought Leadership Studio. This has been episode number 27, the interview with Stephanie Scheller of Grow Disrupt. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe, give us a review forward to seeing you next week. Thought Leadership Studio.